It's November 15th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the White House's new border wall design is coming under fire this morning. Environmentalists say that they just hate it. Republicans are saying more or less the same. I'll explain why nobody is happy with the new design. Second, demand for electricity in America is set to double or triple, depending on the estimate. And that means that we will need some really big trees. We'll make the connection in just a bit. Third, the White House is closing in on a deal with China's President Xi on the sale of fentanyl chemicals to global drug dealers. I'll explain, though, why this deal probably won't last, and it has to do with Chinese mafias and a lot of corrupt cash. Fourth, some good news for coffee lovers. A coffee plant that was thought lost to time has been rediscovered in the jungles of Sierra Leone. I'll tell you about that in a bit. But before we get to that, let's get to our top stories of the morning. With this breaking news, the Israeli military is conducting a high-risk operation inside the Al-Shifa hospital in the Gaza Strip. Details are scarce this morning, but we do know three things. First, Hamas has co-located a command center under that hospital. We discussed that possibility on Monday. Well, U.S. intelligence confirmed as much publicly yesterday. Second, Hamas is probably holding hostages at that location at the hospital. There are, in fact, over 200 missing as of this morning, so perhaps the Israelis will find them under the hospital. Third, there are over 2,000 Gazan civilians using this hospital as a refuge, along with 700 patients and hundreds of doctors and other staff. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is a high-risk operation with very important implications for what comes next, not only in Gaza, but also the region. Because if the Israelis can capture or kill key leaders of Hamas that are under that hospital in those tunnels, it will be a profound victory for Israel, but it will also be a profound embarrassment for the Arab and Muslim world. That's because they are going to have to respond to the fact that Hamas is using that hospital for its operations and those people inside as human shields. But if Israel gets this wrong, if they make a mistake and kill a lot of civilians, it will get very, very ugly, certainly in the public sphere. So let us keep our eyes on this this morning, and I'll keep you posted. Meanwhile, back to our scheduled news of the morning, we head closer to home to talk about an October for the record books, and not in a good way. And here's why. More illegal migrants crossed over America's southern border last month than any other October in American history. Just over 240,000 people were encountered or arrested last month by U.S. Border Patrol officers, with 12 of those illegals on the U.S. terror watch list. That overall number, the 240,000, it is down from September's record by about 30,000 people. But don't celebrate, because just three years ago, that October number of illegal migrants was 70,000. Again, now it's 240,000. Well, as Americans are debating that and who is to blame for it, the Biden White House is continuing its efforts to build 20 miles, give or take, of border walls in the fine state of Texas. But that plan is coming under additional fire this morning from not only Republicans who say it's not enough, but now environmentalists are pretty angry, too. So here's why, starting with something that you might not know. Mr. Biden had to choose from a set of designs for his border barriers, and he chose one that, well, it looks like this, if I could paint a picture for for you with words. From the ground up, 
uh, four feet, there is a concrete base. It's uh, shaped like a triangle. And at the top of that triangle are individual steel rods that rise another six feet or so. So that puts Biden's uh, wall at around 10 to 12 feet tall in total. And he chose that design, according to the White House, because it is small, it's movable, and it's temporary. To which all sides of this debate are saying, thanks, uh, White House, we hate it. And that is because on one side of this debate are Border Patrol officers and former chiefs like Rodney Scott. He said in a uh, recent interview that the uh, short, stumpy Biden design wouldn't be a deterrent, which is sort of part of the point of having a wall or a barrier. In fact, he said Biden's wall will be much easier to climb over than Trump's wall. All because of Trump's, uh, his ranges from about 18 feet to 30 feet tall versus Biden's 12. Meanwhile, on the other hand, some Democrats and especially environmental activists hate Biden's wall as well, but for very different reasons. So animal rights activists are saying this morning that because of Biden's design with, again, that triangle base of uh, complete concrete and cement, well, that will, quote, block even the smallest species of animals from passing through the barrier, end quote. At least that is according to activists from the Center for Biological Diversity. And they added on their comment something else that I think is fascinating. They say that Trump's design, his wall, is better because the base of his wall has openings or slots, and at least some animals can manage to crawl through. Plus, there are other environmental issues, apparently, with Biden's design. According to conservationist Scott Nickel of the Friends of the Wildlife Corridor Group, he said that when the rains come, the Biden border wall will block the water, all because of that big triangle cement base. And that will cause water to back up and flood, destroying plants and eroding soil. Now, that said, Mr. Nickel did offer one bit of praise for the Biden wall. Quote, I guess if somebody falls while they are climbing over it, they aren't falling as far. End quote. And he's right. A fall from 10 or 12 feet with the Biden wall is certainly less than Trump's 30 feet. But that raises yet another concern this morning. Cities along the border from El Paso to San Diego are reporting that they're seeing a sharp increase of illegal migrants who are falling from Trump's walls and landing below either dead or seriously injured. In turn, that is leading to a sharp rise in local health care costs because these illegals, of course, do not have insurance, but hospitals still have to admit them. And with these very extensive injuries, they are undergoing very expensive surgeries with very long recovery times in the hospitals. Now, unfortunately, we don't have great data on how much this is actually costing us as taxpayers. But in the case of San Diego, the two trauma centers there have incurred over $72 million in medical costs for migrants over the past three years. And that is up from $11 million from the three previous years. Still, how much of the $60 million increase is due from falls from the wall? That's not clear. So those are the latest facts and data on the debate over Mr. Biden's new design of walls, plus the 240,000 illegal migrants that, at least in some cases, are crawling right over that Biden wall. With that, let me offer two pieces of analysis and opinion. First, here's something that I think is very interesting. If you take a look at the reporting from yesterday regarding the record 240,000 illegals in October, you will see headlines celebrating this number as progress. For instance, the LA Times, the Associated Press, ABC News, they are all saying that the 240,000 uh, illegal migrants represents, quote, a rare piece of welcome news for the White House, 
end quote. And I think that's pretty bizarre because recall that three years ago, that number for October, that was 70,000. Now we're being told that it's welcome news that we've got 240,000. I think that that strains logic. Nevertheless, second, let's talk about these designs of Trump versus Biden. And let's remember this. The whole point of a wall is to stop or slow illegal behavior. In this case, illegal entry into the United States. What the Border Patrol officials are telling us this morning, I think correctly, is that a 12-foot-tall Biden wall does very little to stop or slow anyone or anything. And what that tells me is that a wall that is only 12 feet tall is not really a serious solution in this case. And I suspect that that's on purpose. Because if the Biden White House were serious about solving this problem, they would use the bigger barriers, including the spare ones that Trump has, or he purchased, I should say, they are currently rusting, sitting on the ground in places like Texas and Arizona this morning. So let us keep that in mind as we are reading these headlines, talking about Trump walls or Biden walls, because as it turns out, not all walls are built the same. With that, we pivot to our second report of the morning, and we start with something that you might not know. Demand for electricity in the United States is set to double or triple, depending on the estimate you look at. Now, part of this new demand will come from new people and families. We would expect that. But some will be from new industries like artificial intelligence and their data centers. Of course, there's also demand from electric vehicles. As Elon Musk of Tesla says, his EVs and those of other companies will lead to a tripling of power demand over the next 30 years. And that's a lot of power plants, whether those be solar or coal or nuclear but it's also going to mean that we're going to need a lot of power poles. So to tell that story, let's travel this morning to the lovely city of Vidalia, Georgia. It's about half the way between uh, Macon and Savannah. And what a sweet little spot this is. Great shops on McIntosh Street. They've also got the annual Vidalia Onion Festival. I think I'm going to go. I love onions. But just outside of Vidalia is the lovely plantation of pine trees owned by a company called Coppers. This company, along with one in Canada called Stella Jones, they are America's biggest growers of trees for utility poles. And we have a huge market for them. Over 120 million utility poles in this country, with an increasing number of them in need of replacement. Plus, tens of millions more are needed because of these AI centers I mentioned and those electric vehicles. In other words... All of those trees down in Vidalia must come down. Millions of them in Vidalia and beyond. And I'll tell you, we need the big ones. And here's why. The current poles that you see every day on streets and highways, those are almost always what are called class four poles. They're around 40 feet tall. But power companies and grid operators, they want a different kind. Class two poles, which are thicker and another five feet taller. And so the race is on to find these bigger poles, whether that be in nature or these plantations like in Vidalia. But it's not just in Georgia. Companies are scouring the nation, trying to find these bigger trees. In fact, in the Pacific Northwest, they're using helicopters to find them, going through the, the old growth forests in Oregon and Washington state to try to find dug fir and red cedar. But as the Wall Street Journal is noting this morning, there's a problem. There aren't enough of these big trees that are both very tall and very straight. In fact, that is what the North American uh, Wood Pole Council told us a couple of years ago. And because of that lack of supply, they suggested that we should settle for the shorter trees or maybe more metal poles. 
But either way, this is going to be a very, very expensive process. For instance, in California alone, adding or updating transmission poles and lines, that is going to cost around $9.3 billion for the whole country. It's closer to half a trillion. And that cost, combined with these lack of big trees and plus a bunch of permitting problems when we put up power lines in this nation, well, it's raising doubts this morning whether we will ever be able to do it. And that is bad, certainly for folks who believe in climate change. They and the White House have a plan for net zero emissions by the year 2050, and they need these lines up. But that's not going to happen without a whole lot more power poles and, well, dead trees out of places like Vidalia, Georgia. So those are the latest facts and data this morning about how we need a bunch more trees in the sawmills to save nature. Now, I don't have any analysis or opinion to give you on this one. I think the facts speak for themselves. Although, I will offer you this. The companies that are involved in building these and cutting these utility poles down, they are making money hand over fist lately, especially after the White House announced their various billion-dollar climate initiatives. To the point, the stock prices for those two companies that I mentioned earlier, the Coppers and Stella Jones, they are up 49 and 87% this year, respectively. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks, and we'll be right back. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I had their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their GhostBed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, Go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news with a focus this morning on China. And that is because, ladies and gentlemen, President Xi of China is on his way to the United States for a summit, and he will be meeting with Joe Biden in very short order. And as we discussed yesterday, they are meeting to chat about a variety of things, including at least military-to-military issues. But we are also learning this this morning. Reuters News and other outlets are reporting that the White House is working on a new deal with China about fentanyl. And that would certainly be good because, as listeners know, China's pharmaceutical companies have partnered with Mexican cartels to cook up drugs like fentanyl that then get shipped to the United States that ultimately have killed over 100,000 Americans a year for years now. Well, the White House is apparently on the cusp of what they are saying is a very good deal, where Beijing would agree to clamp down on these Chinese companies, and in exchange, we would remove a Chinese organization from a, well, it's a, a U.S. naughty list of sorts. 
So the Chinese organization that is on that naughty list, it's called the Institute of Forensic Science. And they were put on that list because of their abuses and targeted killings of ethnic minorities in China, including the Uyghur people. Well, as news about this fentanyl deal have started to leak, Republicans in Congress are slamming it, including Senator Blackburn of Tennessee, because she and others are saying that this deal is first and foremost immoral. In other words, to toss aside the plight of people like the Uyghurs. But also, they say, China is playing us again. They point out the fact that China has already promised to crack down on fentanyl once before back in 2019 with then U.S. President Donald Trump. But that promise to him lasted about a year or two, and then China broke it. All right, well, putting aside whether this latest Biden deal is good or bad, it does raise the question of why Beijing is allowing this to happen in the first place. In other words, why would Beijing and its companies want to sell these deadly drug chemicals to Mexican cartels? Well, there are a few answers to this question. Uh, Some folks speculate it is a revenge for what the British and the French did to China many years ago during what are called the Opium Wars. Those were back in the 1830s and 1850s. And if you want to dive into that history, I've highlighted some pretty good pieces and videos about that in the transcript. But meanwhile, I think that there's something else that explains Beijing's complicity with the sale of these drug chemicals. And I tell you, it doesn't get enough press, nor do most politicians or Americans even know about it. So I'm going to give you the inside intel this morning, and here it is. It has to do with Chinese mafias and how the Communist Party and President Xi uses them. Now, to understand the mafias of China and their relationships with communist officials, we actually need to go to Europe this morning, to Italy. So here's why, starting with some history based on an investigation by the outlet ProPublica. So back in the year 1990, the Italian city of Prato had 520 residents of Chinese origin. But today, that number is 40,000. Now, most of that increase was from immigrants who came to Italy to work in the factories there. Cheap labor, in other words, for Italian textile mills. But over the years, these immigrants became a massive force of their own, eventually coming to dominate local politics and businesses. And along with these 40,000 new Chinese citizens came crime, specifically criminal bosses from Chinese mafias. They started to move into Prado, or from, I should say, from a, a province that is called Fujian. Now, at first, most of these Chinese mafias and their mafiosos, they did, well, what mafias normally do. They trade in illegal drugs, counterfeit goods, prostitution rings, and a shakedown of local Chinese businesses. Well, over the years, these mafia bosses started to amass great wealth. And then, as they traveled back and forth to China, they amassed tremendous power as well including through friendships with very important but very corrupt communist officials who, of course, knew about their illicit activities but looked away for a cut. Well, that began a devilish deal between the Communist Party and these Chinese mafia bosses, but not just in Italy. Throughout the world, these mafias grew, including in Europe and the United States. But what Beijing quickly realized is that these mafias were in very interesting places throughout the Western world and they had very interesting capabilities. For instance, they could spy on Western targets in a way that their embassy-based officers could not. They could also collect intelligence and conduct surveillance on ethnic Chinese people who dared to say a bad word about communism or President Xi. In other words, President Xi and his Communist Party made a pact with these mafias, and here it is. 
She and his underlings would allow these mafias to operate both at home and abroad, including in the drug trade, so long as these criminal networks did she's dirty work abroad. And that has meant that these mafias have acted as a sort of global police force for Beijing to both protect the regime and to enrich those communist officials with all the kickbacks that look the other way. So those are the facts and data this morning around how China operates abroad and part of the reason for why it allows illicit activity of all kinds to include the drug trade. With that, let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So I will tell you what I know from personal experience. When you ask the Chinese government to do something about something bad that is happening in their country, like these fentanyl chemicals, Beijing will say there is no problem. They will deny knowledge of it and then do nothing about it. And this mafia issue helps us understand one of the reasons why they do that. These mafia bosses are sending back hundreds of millions of dollars to the Communist Party, and that allows Xi to use all that money as a system of control, of blackmail, and even patronage. Well, in return, Xi and the CCP get a global mafia network that does what they want, when they want, against targets of their choosing. Again, it's a a global underground police force. By the way, it is complete with kidnappings and assorted covert operations, if you will. And in that sense, these mafioso are a, a proxy group in a very similar way that Hezbollah is a proxy group for Iran. In other words, Hezbollah does the dirty work of the Ayatollah, giving the Islamic leaders in Tehran a a veneer of possible deniability. And so, too, do these Chinese mafioso. So that is why, ladies and gentlemen, that the Chinese government, they will never fully clamp down on fentanyl or other illicit activity. It's just too lucrative and ultimately too important for the regime. Now, it may be true that on occasion, President Xi or his underlings will collaborate with us a little bit on stopping some of these activities for some short period of time, just like they did with Trump back in 2019 or apparently now with Biden in 2023. But we got to be crystal clear. China will never be our friend on this or other issues that touch that system of patronage and mafia reach. So I would encourage us to keep this in mind as we hear or see headlines this week about whatever deal that the White House is striking with Xi on fentanyl or issues like it. Because whatever this deal is that they cook up, it's not permanent. It's not real. And it will not have a lasting material impact. Now, you know why. With that, we close out the podcast this morning by now heading off to West Africa, to the country of Sierra Leone, where we are going to talk about coffee. It is all about the discovery of an old coffee plant that has not been seen or used commercially since at least the 1950s. It's called Cafea Stenophila, and here is some great history to this. Throughout the 1800s and early 1900s, Stenophila was all the rage in the world of coffee. In Paris, London, New York, if you drank coffee, you probably drank that variety. It's a very robust flavor that is quite similar to or even better than what most of us drink now, which is called Cafea Arabica. But this newer stuff that we drink, well, that pushed out the stenophila because that Arabica plant produced more berries or beans and thus more coffee and more profit. So growers gravitated towards this and that uh, Sierra Leone variety, that stenophila, was lost to time. But then in the year 2014, Researchers set out to rediscover this plant if they could find it. 
And they started hiking through the jungles of Sierra Leone for almost four years, and they found nothing. But in the year 2018, they stumbled upon a very small patch of it in one single parcel of land in the middle of the jungle. And so very carefully, they took a sample plant and began to grow more and more of it in nurseries to see if they could revive it commercially. And they were keenly interested in doing this for two big reasons. First, stenophylla is much more disease resistant than other types of coffee plants. And second, it can produce beans in much hotter climates, about 40 degrees hotter, in fact, than these Arabica plants. And that takes us to our news. The government of Sierra Leone recently announced that a partner coffee company had been able to successfully propagate this stenophylla plant in nurseries. They are healthy and the beans are producing coffee the taste testers say is just as good, if not better, than the stuff we drink today, that Arabica. Now, it will probably be a few more years before we ever see the stenophylla commercially, but when we do, apparently it might be sold under the same name that it held over 100 years ago. Back then, it was called Sierra Leone Highland Coffee. So, there you go. Keep your eyes and ears and taste buds at the ready. Sierra Leone Highland Coffee is on its way. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. We're going to hold off on a listener question today. We have covered a lot of great news. Instead, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.